Thank you for listening to the Competition Committee podcast, where we make sports more fun for the fans. Check out new podcasts every Thursday. Welcome, everyone, to the Competition Committee, a podcast where we make sports more fun for the fans. I'm your host, Joining me as always is JJ, and we have a great lineup for today's show. We'll discuss why perhaps running on second and one isn't the right move, play a new game called Guess That Year, talk about a new rule for making the tush push illegal, and of course, finish it off with some emails and our bold predictions for the next week. Before we begin, let's bring in our returning third chair for this week's episode, our local Philly fanatic, Johnny. How are you doing today, sir? And uh, do you think the Eagles have a chance against the Bucks tonight? What do you mean, a small chance of losing? No. Mm. Not even possible. All right. 20-point game. Oh, boy. Well, as a local Tampa boy, I feel like the Bucks are a little underrated in the league, and we'll, we'll see if they have a shot tonight. It'll be a good game. Second and one. JJ, why do you think running on second and one isn't the right move? Well, let me start by saying I, th- I think I want to expand this from second and one to second and short. And I'm going to define short three yards or less. I think what coaches often do is they focus on playing for the first down when they should be focusing on playing for the touchdown. I think we know this intuitively when we watch football games and we see – second and short, and all they do is run, pick up three yards, and they have a first and 10, and they think they've accomplished something. Well, I really think they've missed an opportunity. I think what they should be doing is using that second and short to make a long pass. Maybe not a long bomb, but something of 15 yards or so, and take advantage of this opportunity. Let me share some numbers that I dug up on why I think this makes sense. When you're facing second and short, you can take the position that you're going to run on second down, and if you don't make it, run on third down. It turns out that second and short, that's um, three yards or less, you have a 55% chance of making it on second down. On third down, it actually goes up a little bit, you have a 60% chance of making it. The combined effect is if you run on second and third, you have an 82% chance of making that first down. But again, your average gain is going to be about five yards in those two runs. Of course, you make the first one, it might be three or more yards, but your average is going to be five yards. So you've made five yards and you have a first down and you have an 82% chance of that happening. If, however, you go for the pass case, and not just a short pass, but a long pass or intermediate pass, 15 yards or more, you have a 40% chance of making that on second down. Let's say you don't make it. You still have a 60% chance of running the ball on third down and making your first down. So the combined effect there is you have a 76% chance of making a first down. So you've only dropped your likelihood of making a first down from 82% 
to 76%, which isn't very much. However, what you did was you picked up an opportunity, 40% chance opportunity to make a 15-yard play and be 15 yards farther down the field. So that's my argument. Assuming that the coaches know these statistics, in which I'm hoping that they do, why? what's the reason for them to keep running the ball on second and short? Do you have a reason why they continue to do it? I think it's the way that they have been trained their whole lives, which is pick up the first down, pick up the first down, pick up the first down, keep playing, keep playing, keep playing, instead of thinking about let's score a touchdown, which is really your overall objective. And clearly they do have these statistics. I picked them up in about 30 minutes of looking on the internet and they have analytics experts looking at them. Yeah, from from my point of view, if I was a coach, I would have trouble getting over that mental hurdle of it's just one yard in, until we get a new fresh set of downs. Let's just get that first down and not have a chance to screw it up on third down. Because I feel like that's what's causing a lot of these coaches to hesitate and not go for that long pass because anything could happen on third down. Most of these defenses, even if it's third and short, third and one, they're going to be prepared for that run. And who knows what could happen on that short down. That could be a tackle for a loss. I feel like that's the main mental hurdle that they're going to be trying to get over with. Here's the interesting thing. When you are in third down, you have an equal likelihood of making a pass and getting first down as you do a run. So you can pass on that third down if you want to. Just you're making a a two or three yard pass. You're making a very, very short pass. I think if you were to ask somebody, if they really thought about it, would you rather have first and 10 or second and one? And the answer should be you'd rather have second and one than first and 10. And all they're doing when they convert that second and one or second and short to a first down is picking up two or three yards and then getting their first and 10, which they is not as desirable as their second and one is. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at that Cleveland Titans game this weekend. I think that'd be a perfect case in point. If you look at what the coaches continue to do, they continue to run Henry on these short down situations, many times unsuccessfully when they just paid millions of dollars to get, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, who is arguably one of the biggest receivers in the NFL. If you're looking at a second and short, third and short, even a fourth and short, many times you're going to be more successful throwing a three, four yard pass to DeAndre Hopkins than you are trying the obvious, which is running Henry up the middle which was unsuccessful so many times. Johnny, I'm taking the argument a step farther. I'm saying on second and short, you shouldn't even throw the short pass. This is an opportunity to pick up a big chunk of yards and you should take it. I mean, I agree with that. I would like to see our, our coaches, for instance, I'm, I'm a local Tennessee boy here, so I'll pick on the Titans again. I think way too often, even on first down, we're pulling the trigger on a run when even on first and 10, we should be passing a lot more because our success rate is at least as high in terms of getting us set up for second and third downs, if not for moving the ball another 10 yards. I know we've talked about this before on the podcast. Every person has multiple motivations, and football coaches are no different. 
Their first motivation should be to win the game. But as an individual, it's hard not to make your first motivation to keep your job. And to keep your job, you do what is expected of you. And if it's expected of you to just keep hammering out and getting the first downs, that's what you do. You can get criticized a lot more for throwing the 15-yard pass because 60% of the time, it's not going to work. But 40% it is, and if you have that third down, you still have an opportunity to run for it or throw the short pass on third down. Yeah, and I think the Seattle Seahawks fans would uh, agree with you that sometimes throwing it on a short yard-to-gain situation in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter right next to the goal line when you have Marshawn Lynch right behind you, it could cause some controversy. That's exactly right. So that was a coach that was confident he wasn't going to get fired, and he did what was analytically correct, gave him an opportunity for one extra play, and it didn't work. It doesn't always work. Let's not get hung up on that because I will lose the audience because everybody believes that was a mistake, even (laughs) though I don't believe it was a mistake. Again, what I'm saying is let's take advantage of second and short and try to get a big play. Next time anybody's watching a game, the announcers will say that pretty often too. Whenever there's a second and short, those color commentators who most of the time I've been in the NFL will say, I would love for them to take a deep shot here. Tony Romo says that all the time. Let's transition us to our bold predictions review of last week. I'm going to just flat out say mine was the absolute worst case scenario. I had the Broncos money line at plus 230. That one was an absolute loser from the kickoff. JJ had the Patriots at minus eight and a half. That one wasn't very close either. Well, well. It was close through the first half. Remember, what I was trying to do was bet against or predict against Zach Wilson. And at the end of the first half, Zach Wilson had seven yards passing. And the Patriots were winning by 10. So I was going to win. They had one fluke of a uh, drive (laughs) where they scored a touchdown. But Zach went on to score a safety against his team, and he still played awful. I just found the wrong way to bet against him. I should have won that bull (laughs) My mistake. It was close, but in the end, still a loser. And lastly, Campbell, our third chair, he had the Commanders money line plus 230. Commanders almost got shut out. They lost 37-3. to That one was not close as well. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to play a new game called Guess That Year. Parker, who did you and Allie fly to Boulder last week? We flew Frontier Airlines. Paid only $78 for two tickets. Had to add $49 to sit together, $98 to check two bags, and $39 for Allie to bring her purse on the plane. $32 for bathroom privileges, $24 for deplaning fees, and $78 for the cabin steward to acknowledge our presence. Frontier Airlines. If it seems too good to be true, you know the rest. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to play a new game called Guess That Year. It's a slight hybrid of what we do with highly leveraged true or false. Johnny, 
You go first. Pick a number between one and eight. So I'm going to pick number six. Okay. Number six. In this year, Tiger Woods wins the Masters. The NFL Super Bowl champion was the New England Patriots. In F1, Austin, Texas, the winner was Valtteri Botas. And Kevin Durant signs with the Brooklyn Nets in a blockbuster deal in the free agency market. Yeah, see, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with the – I'm going to leverage it a one because I do not know the answer to this. And I am going to take a wild guess here. I'm going to say 2007. That would be incorrect. The year was 2019. 2019. All righty, JJ, pick a number between one through eight, and you can't pick six. Five, please. Number five, the NFL Super Bowl champion was the Denver Broncos. The Tour de France winner was Lance Armstrong. Michael Jordan retires for the second time in his career. And the MLB champion World Series was the New York Yankees. I'm going to say 2001. What are you going to leverage it? Well, they're not going to get any easier than this, are they? And I know when Lance won his... One is tours, but besides that, I'm kind of at a loss. I'll leverage it a two. Okay. It was close, but it's 1999. 1999. Johnny, you have one through, th- one through four, seven, and eight. Let's go with number seven. Okay. Number seven. The Olympics was in Athens, Greece. The Tour de France winner was Lance Armstrong. The NHL Stanley Cup champion was the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the Super Bowl champions were the New England Patriots. Well, you can have a lot of years with the Patriots, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with the number two Okay. as far as my points go. I'm going to guess 2004. You would be correct, sir. Oh. Two points for Johnny. JJ, one through four or eight? Eight. Alrighty. The Triple Crown winner was a horse named Justify. The play Philly Philly helped the Eagles secure the Super Bowl win. <laughs> the Wimbledon champion was Novak Djokovic. And the Winter Olympics was held in Pyeongchang, South Korea. And you have one... Three or four. Okay, I think I'm going to get this based on the Olympics because I know the last one was in China, and that was 2022. And the so that's going to I'm going to go back four more years. I'm going to say 2018. I'm going to leverage it four. You would be correct, sir. Four yes. points for JJ. I like those that have Olympics in them because I can figure those years out. (laughs) The score is two for Johnny, four for JJ. Johnny, it is your turn, one through four. Let's go with number one. Okay. The Masters champion in golf was Zach Johnson. The NFL Super Bowl champions were the New York Giants. The MLB World Series champions were the Philadelphia Phillies. And the NHL Stanley Cup champions were the Detroit Red Wings. 
Uh, I've got three left, right? Three and four? Yep. Let's go with a three. I'm going to go with 2012. Oof. Just a few years off. It was 2008. 2008 uh, were the New York Giants Super Bowl champions. JJ, two, three, or four? Two, please. Okay. The number one F1 driver in their standings for points was Max Verstappen. The most medals won in the Beijing Olympics was Norway with 37. The NHL Stanley Cup champions were the Colorado Avalanche. And the NFL MVP of the year was Patrick Mahomes. I think this is real easy. I have a leverage of three left. Is that right? Three and one. I will take two. I'll leverage it three and I'll say 2022. That would be correct, sir. Again, the Olympics. You got, I love those Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> that helps. Alrighty, two or three or four, Johnny. Let's go with number four. Okay. The Triple Crown winner this year was American Pharaoh. The college football national champion was Ohio State. The NBA champions were the Golden State Warriors. And the U.S. Open golf champion was Jordan Spieth. So I'm going to leverage four. I'm going to say it's somewhere between 2010 and 20. Let's split the middle, 2015. Ding, ding, ding. You are correct, sir. Oh, you just guessed. <laughs> no, that was an educated guess. <laughs> All righty, JJ, you have the last number at number three. It is World Cup winner in soccer was Italy. Tour de France winner was Oscar Pereiro. The MLB World Series champion were the St. Louis Cardinals. And the Golf Ryder Cup winner was Europe. What is the year? 2019. You are off by just a few years. Actually, by a lot. 2006 was the year Oscar Pereira won the Tour de France. 2006. That leaves us, leaves us with a final score of seven points for JJ and six points for Johnny. Close game. What do y'all think? I like it a lot. It's a hard game. I like it, though. Parker, I fear that uh, with your knowledge, you would be very good at this game. I'm glad you're not playing. You're going to have to flip it around on me one of these times. We will take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the Tush Push. Parker, did you and Allie get to drop by Bucky's this afternoon? No. Allie was watching some silly reality TV show, and she wouldn't leave the house. Bucky's. People like us for the same stupid reason they like the Kardashians. Welcome back, everybody. We are here to discuss the tush push and whether or not this should be a rule that the NFL's competition committee needs to consider changing. This was mentioned by Al Michaels on the Thursday night broadcast a couple weeks ago. And it was interesting because, you know, this has been something that the Philadelphia Eagles have been utilizing at a pretty high success rate, lining up right behind the center, probably two or three guys right behind Jalen Hurts, snapping the ball. 
and just all hands on deck, pushing Jalen Hurts one or two yards to get the first down. So I wanted to open up to the floor, JJ, Johnny, what do you guys think about this rule? Should it be changed? Should it be the same? Should the tush push be banned? I may be a little bit biased. In fact, you talk about the success rate of this play. From what I understand, on short yardage situations, not just fourth and one, third and one, on the goal line, I think the Eagles were successful around 91% of the time last year. It's crazy. Converting. So so it wasn't 100%. I've seen other teams try to execute this play. If you watch the Cardinals game yesterday, they had a a tush-push play, if you will. And again, I, I don't think that this is a gimme play. I just think that the defenses haven't figured out a way to counter this play. And I think to punish success in the NFL is a bad idea. I mean, obviously I want to see my Eagles do well, but there's nothing stopping the other teams. Why aren't the other franchises adopting this play? If it's so easy, if it's, if it's guaranteed, if this is a for sure thing, I don't see anyone else doing it regularly. Johnny, what's so interesting about this is you know, because of our earlier segment, I spent some time studying the likelihood of making a first down. And it turns out for a fourth and one, the, the likelihood is just less than 70% if you run the ball. And yet, Philadelphia with this, you said is over 90%. Over 90%. Well, let me make the argument. I spent a little bit of time looking at where this should fit in the NFL rule book. And at first, I thought, well, I'll look under the unsportsmanlike conduct. And in unsportsmanlike conduct, which is, by the way, Section 3 of uh, Rule Number 12, Player Conduct, there is a rule that said, and this is, this is funny, placing a hand or hands on a teammate or opponent to gain additional height is against the rules. Picking up a teammate to attempt to block a kick is against the rules, which I think would really be funny. They need to get rid of that rule. Just tossing people up two-man style. And as I was reading this, I was reminded of uh, Bill Enville. If you know Bill Enville, he's a comedian. And he says that every rule exists for a reason. And one of his examples is there is a... Uh, do not open in flight on every commercial airline door in an airplane because some (laughs) idiot at some point opened the door. (laughs) There is a rule that's under the unsportsmanlike conduct. Again, this has nothing to do with what we're discussing, but I think it's funny. Any violent gesture or act that is sexually suggestive or offensive is prohibited. I could just see somebody tackling somebody and then humping on them for a while. <laughs> oh boy! And that that rule only exists because it happened at one time. <laughs> are you insinuating that when their hands are on his tush, that that is a sexually insinuating play? I am not. I am just saying it would really be funny to see one guy tackle somebody else and before he lets him up, he humps on him a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) The ultimate insult to injury. Yeah. The place that it would exist is Article 4, which is titled Assisting the Runner and Interlocking Interface. No offensive player may pull a runner in any direction at any time. 
So although there's not a rule against pushing, there is a rule against pulling a runner. And this is, again, not really related to this, but kind of interesting. No offensive player may use interlocking interference interference by grasping a teammate or using his hands or arms to encircle the teammate of another, of an opponent in an effort to block him, which is really funny. It would mean two guys grab hands and just kind of clothesline a, a defensive player. That's, <laughs> that's not allowed. But anyway, the place that it would exist is it would exist here and it would be similar to the pull or runner in any direction. So I'm going to propose that Article 4 have Section D added to it, and that's going to say no offensive player may push a runner forward at any time. So that's the rule I'm going to propose. And I guess the reason I'm going to propose it is because we want football to look like football, and we don't want football to look like rugby. So that would cause a slight problem for when they pass it off to a running back. He gets five or six yards, a couple defensive players hold him up, and then here come the offensive linemen to basically pick up the running back and just push the pile another three yards. So would that technically be against the rule as well? That that's the same play. That would make this okay. that illegal as well. Let me let me do make one argument. And I'm not so sure how much I believe this argument. But rules in sports are often changed because people don't like the way a new technique makes something look. Think about golf. There have been alternate ways to putt in golf. But somebody will do it for a season and then they will quickly outlaw it, or not outlaw it, outrule it so that it can't be done anymore. And in bicycling, a sport that I follow, bicycles must look a certain way to be legal. A faster bike is a recumbent bicycle. And if they really wanted to race as fast as possible, they would race recumbent bicycles, but they look stupid. And because they look stupid, and again, I apologize to our listeners who happen to ride recumbent bicycles, They look stupid, and the sport doesn't want to look stupid. So that's the only argument I would make for this rule is because it makes the sport look like rugby. Do you think they would change the rule because it would look, because it looks funny, or because it's almost unstoppable to defend against? Like what? I'm trying to figure out which avenue they would take because I don't think the visual of them pushing is that bad. I think they would take more of the route of these teams just can't stop it, at least for the Eagles. I mean, I would like to say, and this this may not be necessarily supporting rule change or, or not supporting the rule change, but those of us who've been NFL fans for a while can probably appreciate the fact that football's getting more and more sissified every day. And I say that because, you know, these quarterbacks are such pansies. Oh, he touched me. Oh, he pushed me. And they're, you know, they're taking these fake falls and kickers are acting like people run into them when they didn't. Football is supposed to be a manly, violent, physically aggressive sport that favors those who have trained and have put on the muscle mass and are hitting hard. So I want to see more hitting and I want to see less whining. And this is a manly play. This is a, I dare you to stop me. I'm in your face. I'm here. I'm tougher than you are. Boom. Get out of my way. I love it. Got me all fired up. We need more of that. 
I agree that this is a, a manly play, but I'm going to disagree that, that football is becoming sissified. Last year, we saw a defensive back get hit in the chest and killed on the field until they brought him back to life. This sport is not a safe sport and not becoming more of a safe sport. Just based on that, I'm going to say something. We're talking about a player who had a medical condition that had not been diagnosed yet. And that's because he's made it all the way through the ranks and not been hit very hard. If we had a regular violent contact, this would have been discovered when he was in high school and treated before he had a chance to get to the professional level. Well, this isn't fair because I want to argue with you, but you're a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I feel like... I can't. I, I have no standing because I am not a doctor, but I was right. unaware that he had any medical condition because I do know he's returned to the field and is playing again. I think that may be an exception. I, I, I don't want to say anything bad about this player because obviously he's a hero for getting back in here. But um, but I, I think that um, there is a tendency for football to become more regulated less of letting the players play, letting the play go to completion, letting things take their natural course. And so much of the time, it seems like the officials are interfering with that process and taking away some of the the joy of football or some of the just the natural manly violence that we all kind of enjoy to, to see. Well, let's put it to a vote. And this is a rule change to... Go ahead, JJ. Before we do, I will acknowledge that football is highly regulated. The playbook or the rule book is 245 pages long, just so you get an idea of how many rules there are. Those referees, their ability to know these rules as well as they do is astounding. It's also astounding for their inability to know the rules, but we're not going to go there. Let's vote. (laughs) They do miss a lot of calls. I'll just say it. So this is a proposed rule change to ban the tush push. So you're voting on banning the tush push. Johnny, go ahead and start us off. What's the lowest number I'm allowed to use um, for this rule? Is it zero or is it a one? It is a one. I think it's a one. I will give it a one. I'm going to give it a three. I do not think they should ban it just because it does seem that it might be unstoppable. It might look weird. It looks like a football play to me. I don't think they should ban it. I'm also going to give it a one. I don't like the rule that I proposed at all, but I thought we should do it because it was uh, in the news. So that is a five divided by three, which is 2.3, I think. Uh, It doesn't go anywhere. So we will not be sending this to Roger Goodell, but we will keep tabs on this situation because it does seem like they are reviewing this in the NFL's own competition committee. Yeah, and this we can come back and attack them if they change this rule. That's right. We will take one last break, and when we come back, we'll dig into our email bag and finish it off with our bold predictions. We'll be right back. Parker, did you get a deal on those new nylon lawn chairs? Of course. It was a blue light special at Kmart. Kmart, creating confusion in minority communities about the value of running towards blue lights 
or away from blue lights. And we are back. We're going to dig into our email bag here. We have three emails for us to read off. And we're going to finish off the show with our bold predictions. Our first email is from Ellis from Asheville, North Carolina. He has a riveting question for us. He writes, what the hell is going on at McDonald's? In 2009, I can get two hash browns for a dollar. This morning, I paid $2.39 for one. Quick check on the Google machine showed the cumulative inflation rate since 2009 is 49%. This means that I should be able to buy two hash browns for $1.49, not $4.78. Come on, man. What are we even doing here? Thank you, Ellis. Anybody want to attack this question? I'm not sure Ellis really knows what's going on on our podcast. This is the third email we've gotten from him. They're all interesting, typically aren't sports-related, and typically are something we can't do anything about. I don't uh, I don't know how we vote on the McDonald's hash brown price, but he's right. It's out of control. <laughs> I will just comment as a football fan in training, it's important that I keep up my caloric intake mm. so that I have this body habitus, which allows me to fully fill out um, two XL jerseys when I go to the football games. McDonald's is an important part of my training program. And without McDonald's, I don't know how I would keep my physique. I did experience what Ellis is talking about. And um, I went the other day to McDonald's and a meal that normally would have cost me six, eight bucks a few years back cost me $12. And I feel your pain. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'm going to have to start finding a cheap donut source. I, I will remind everyone that they, they heard for the first time on the podcast that Johnny is also a medical doctor recommending the donuts <laughs> and the McDonald's. This email was not sponsored by McDonald's. So before we get into trouble, we'll move on to our next email. And this is from Jill from San Antonio. She writes, committee members, I found F1 about three years ago, mostly through Netflix's Drive to Survive show, and I loved it. I've tried to watch IndyCar, but I just can't get any juice for it. About all I can figure is it has too many drivers and it's massively unbalanced teams. I propose that IndyCar follow the F1 model. Each team has two cars and the number of teams are limited to 10 or 12. Also, Hulu needs to create race for the pace so we can get to know the players more. (laughs) Jill from San Antonio. Well, she might be onto something. <clears throat> I also don't follow IndyCar very closely, but I do know there are teams that have multiple cars, three and four cars, and there's a team or two out there that only have one car. And, of course, the other big difference with IndyCar is that they all race on the same chassis and there's only two engines to pick from. Of course, that makes it much, much less expensive than Formula One. But it is hard to get juice for for teams when you don't, you don't, the teams aren't even, and there's just too many cars out there. You don't know all the people's names. And I think we've seen it in, in Netflix's, what's the name of their golf, their golf show? Full Swing. They got their, their tennis show, Match Point, is that it? What's it? Breakpoint. Breakpoint. 
and they got that cycling thing on the Tour de France. They they have hit on something because it does take you behind the scenes and you get to know the people and can enjoy the sport more. And obviously, Hulu copies Netflix, so maybe they can create what was it? Chase for the what was race the for show? the pace. Race for the pace. I think she's got a good idea. Probably won't work from a financial standpoint. And again, I'll, I'll second what JJ said. The Formula One has been much more interesting to watch to me. And perhaps it's just me, but it seems like when I watch IndyCar races, I'm watching typical oval track, bunch of cars on the track. It's a little hard as a fan to get too excited about it because they're not really doing anything. They're just kind of going around in a circle, making a pass once in a while. I mean, I, I think I think you got to get people out on a on a road track, you know, where the, where there's some – you know, some opportunity to show some skills other than a left-hand turn. That's a good point. I think about half the half the IndyCar races are ovals, and they're not near as interesting to watch. I did get to go to that Music City, Music City, what's it called? Uh, big, big tire Music City or something. I did get to go see that IndyCar race there because I can't afford to go to a F1 race, and it was a lot of fun. But still, it's not as much fun as Formula One. She may, have, may be on to something. And our final email, Kevin from Backwoods, West Virginia. He writes, boys, golf, pool, and bowling are not really sports. Change my mind. Well, I have strong feelings about golf. Golf is definitely a sport, in my humble opinion. As far as pool. Let's, let's talk about, let's do them one at a time. Let's talk about golf. Why would somebody think golf's not a sport? I guess the only reason would be, you don't have to get your heart rate up, right? Virtually every other sport has a cardiovascular component to it while you're exercising hard. Heart rate up due to physical activity or heart rate up due to the pressure that they're under? Well, I mean, if you were doing pressure, then Scrabble would also be a sport because you can get your heart rate up under the pressure. That's some serious Scrabble you might have to play. <laughs> All right, guys, real quick here, just um, to read a dictionary definition of sport. It's an activity involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. Pretty broad definition. Take golf. Number one, these golfers are walking five miles a day. All these golfers have to work out. The best golfers in the world do weight training to enable them to hit the ball further. There is definitely anyone who has golfed before realizes that there's a lot of skill requiring a lot of practice and fine motor skills as well as gross motor skills. A guy who can drive a ball 350 yards is an athlete and is going to look like an athlete. When he takes his shirt off, you're going to see he's an athlete. So I, I, I think anyone who doesn't think golf is a sport has just simply never tried it. I think the way you should define a sport is if you take performance-enhancing drugs, will you make you better at the sport? And I think we can say that if if a golfer were taking steroids, he would be better at the sport. So I'll, I'll make the I'll agree with you. Golf is a sport. Next one is pool. Is that right? Yep. Read your definition again, Johnny. It's an activity involving physical exertion and skill, and when an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. And I would argue you can. You can play pool with minimal physical exertion and you can smoke as much as you want to. 
And it's not going to enhance or it will enhance possibly, but it's not going to inhibit your ability to play that sport. I mean, you can, yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I don't buy a pool as a sport. I agree. I don't, there, there's definitely a skill factor, you know, trying to figure out the angles to hit the ball, but I don't, there isn't much physical exertion where I would consider it a sport. I'll agree with that. It's really a game, but I couldn't help Johnny, but think of John Daly when you were talking about uh, golf. You were talking. You were talking about the ability to smoke and drink at, as you play, <laughs> and I think I think John Daly is that guy. He's and- an exception. <laughs> Back to John Daly, if you don't mind. I mean, let's face it. You look at football players. There are some football players out there that eat too much, that drink, but have natural athletic ability. I mean, some of these offensive linemen, they may not look like athletes, but they are very athletic. They just happen to be carrying around an extra 60, 80 pounds. That's John Daly for you. An athletic guy who is just basically, his lifestyle has inhibited his ability to reach the top level of the sport. (laughs) He came close, but ultimately, lifestyle decisions kept him from being a Tiger Woods. I think the last, the last, Activity is the most challenging, bowling, because, I mean, <laughs> it's all about this physical exertion. And these guys that can throw this ball that fast with that kind of curve, I mean, it, it is, I guess I would argue it is physical physical exertion, but it's only physical exertion for about a second or two. But that's the same thing with golf. Golf is only physical exertion while you're hitting it. So is bowling the same as golf? Someone who throws a discus, are, are they an athlete? Yes. Shot put, are they an athlete? Yes. yes. Uh, I think bowling is every bit as much athletic as that. So I think we're looking at the image of the bowling alley and somehow confusing that with the deciding factor. I think a good, go- a good bowler is every bit as athletic as a good shot putter. And that's funny because I've gone bowling with you, Johnny, and I've seen you loft that ball <laughs> halfway down the lane multiple times. So the shot put is is a uh, accurate uh, analogy. So I'm going to go with you. I think bowling is a sport. So we're going golf, yes. Pool, no. Bowling, yes. I think so. I think we all agree, I too. Think so. Well, if you so. do on par- Parker, if you do on bowling. No, I agree, yeah. Well, Kevin, I hope we changed your mind a little bit on golf and and bowling, but we all agree pool is not a sport. We're not going to change your mind on that. All righty, gentlemen, let's dig into our bold predictions for this upcoming week. Johnny, as the honorary third chair, I'm going to give you the floor and go ahead and tell us what your bold prediction is going to be. Philly's going to have two receivers, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. Both of them will get over 100-yard receiving one of them at least will get 150 yards if not both of them so we're looking at two receivers 100 yards for sure 150 for one of the two okay i think the people in this third chair don't mind being overly bold so (laughs) you could have just left it at two 100 yards and i don't think either of us would have challenged that we would acknowledge that's a bold prediction but you went on to say one of them will get 150 very yeah. impressive very bold probably be very wrong 
but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right, I'm going to go next. I'm going to go with Arkansas Moneyline over Texas A&M going college football here. Arkansas SEC team versus another SEC team, Texas A&M. Arkansas is at home. Texas A&M is coming into their barn. Anytime that there's two SEC teams going at it and the home team is a dog, I'm going with the dog. You ready for yours, JJ? I'm going to stick with Zach Wilson this week. My bold prediction is that Zach Wilson throws two interceptions in his Chiefs game. And Parker, you can check those odds. They are plus 240. That's my bold prediction. Wow, JJ. That, oh. So, JJ, is this the Competition Committee podcast, or did we just change to an episode of Fantasy Island? I mean, that is an unreal bold prediction, let me tell you. We're going to finish off with that. I would like to thank this week's sponsors, Kmart, Frontier Airlines, and Bucky's. Be a part of the competition committee by sending us your ideas for making sports more fun for the fans, or simply by pointing out a problem that needs to be fixed. Use the links in the show notes to reach us. We need your help to make the competition committee a community. Please text a few of your friends a recommendation and link to our show. It is this easy. Click the three dots in the upper right corner of your phone, select share, messages, type the name of three friends, and ask them to check out the show. That's all it takes. Thanks for joining us this week and look for our new episodes every Thursday. Block that kick! Block that kick!